Hey TYT, this is Malcolm Flesher on TYT Interviews. Thanks so much for watching today. I have an exciting interview for you. I'm excited to do it. With me today in, in uh, Menlo Park, California at Cafe Zoe, oh, I have Rob Ritchie and Chris Novoselic. Rob and Chris are with Fair Vote, which is an organization that promotes, among other things, electoral reforms, ranked choice voting. And Rob, your title is? Executive Director. Executive Director, and you have been Executive Director for how long? <sighs> 25 years. 25 years you've been at this. Yes. And Chris, what is your title? I'm the chairman of the board of directors. And how long have you been involved with Fair Vote? Uh, about 20 years. Okay, so uh, Rob, just briefly, I'm sure you've explained this 18 billion times, yes. but tell me briefly what is the mission of Fair Vote and what you do there, what you're, what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, so Fair Vote within the electoral reform movement is the group I think that focuses on the, the structural underpinnings of our system and how we can really get to a system that kind of liberates voters. Our, our mission statement is that we work to give uh, greater choice, more voice, and a representative democracy for all Americans. Um, for us, one of the key ways to achieve that is ranked choice voting, but over the years we've had a role in a number of other uh, key reform ideas, the National Popular Vote Plan, automatic voter registration, getting 16-year-olds registered to vote early, and uh, sort of other ideas that essentially are all designed to respect every voter, respect every vote, increase participation, increase the meaning of our votes. Well, that's weird because I've never heard anybody complain about our electoral system in any way. Never. Everyone right. I know is really, really happy with it, so it's curious. I should mention also, before I forget, that Chris, I'm sorry, people forget this about you. You were also in a, a rock band of some sort at some point. I'm in Giants in the Trees. Giants in the Trees. Yeah, we had a lot of people right. came out to this event today. There must yeah. have been a lot of Giants in the Giants Trees Giants in the fans. Trees fans, yeah. So. Yes. So Chris was uh, the bass player for Nirvana. Nirvana is also a, uh, a member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Right, yeah. And is, the I believe, the first Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Nope. John Dunsmore was also on TYT interviews, and I'm sure he is. Oh, John's great. I know uh, John. So we've had. He's one of my heroes. So this will be part of our John TYT Dunsmore of the Doors. Yeah, the drummer for the Doors. Yeah. Our, our, uh, no, and Chuck D also. I'm sorry, he's in the Rock Chuck's and Roll Hall great, of Fame. Chuck's great, yeah. I think so. We, we, we'll yeah. do a series. We'll do we'll have an interview Public series. Public Yeah. Uh, and we should put a band together right there, because I'll be on bass. We'll have John on drums, and Chuck will like rap. I'm, you know, I'm sure it's not a bad idea. Uh, Actually, no, seriously. Yeah, that's no, a, yeah, you, yeah. Know, and you guys are all political, too. Yeah. Uh, so if you want to find out uh, Chris's story, he, he did an interview with Cenk uh, about three and a half years ago on TYT interviews. You can look for that. And he tells his whole story about Nirvana and how, you know, his childhood and all that. So that's great. I, so we're not going to talk about that today, though. We're just going to talk about fair vote and electoral reform in the United States. And uh, why don't you tell me what you're doing in the Bay Area today and the past week, what you've been doing here and why you're here. Uh, and uh, so go ahead. Yeah, Chris, well, start. we came, I came down for, uh, there's a uh, ballot measure in Santa Clara, California for ranked choice voting, proportional representation as a uh, solution to uh, problems with the Voting Rights Act. And um, I think it's a great solution because it gives voters more choices and more voices and it doesn't uh, lock uh, voters into uh, exclusive districts that are drawn by political elites. And that's the power of ranked choice voting. It's, it's about uh, sovereignty and it's about self-governance. So why don't you tell, briefly explain, which, if possible, what ranked choice voting well, is and where, where, yeah. it's ha where it already has yeah. been instituted in the, the United States. Yeah, ranked choice voting was in 
was conceived in like the mid 19th century in England by John Stuart Mill and this barrister Thomas Hare. And so it really uh, spread in uh, English speaking countries as a form of proportional representation where like on the continental Europe, they'd have uh, party based systems in um, like Ireland and Scotland and <laughs> Australia they and the United States and Canada over the years have adopted this version of uh, ranked choice voting. Basically, it's called the single transferable vote. You get a ballot and your candidates are listed on there and you have this feature where you could rank them in order of preference. You put a number one by your favorite, number two by your second favorite, uh, number three by your third favorite. That is so complicated. It's so complicated, yeah. <laughs> and then you, uh, you count the ballots if somebody uh, gets a majority in one version of it they win or if they cross a certain threshold for the for the multi uh, member version of it then they get elected and if there's uh, if there's no majority or if nobody crosses the threshold then you could eliminate uh, the last place candidate and uh, those voters second and third choices get redistributed and if the multi-member version if there's a surplus of somebody who wins and those votes are are transferred also, so you get a, a portrait of the city council, of what the the voters look like, and what they believe. So, and it's 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 a sophisticated system, but you have to remember too that the people who draw these single member districts, who do like gerrymandering, they use very sophisticated uh, computer codes, technology, demographics, um, uh, uh, geographic data. And they pack and crack districts, and that's the tool of the gerrymanderer. So what we're saying at Fair Vote is we give this sophistication and transparency to the voter themselves through ranked choice voting. Right, so we have a system where, in many cases, it's the politicians choosing their voters instead of the voters choosing their politicians. So, uh, so Rob, for example, with the last presidential election, well, we, will t we won't talk about the city councils. That's a, more, that's a separate uh, uh, form of ranked choice voting. But if you, we, had been, we had had ranked choice voting in the 2016 presidential election, how might things have played out differently? Or uh, how might people who voted for Jill Stein and people who voted for Hillary Clinton not hate each other as sworn enemies anymore? Right. So, I mean, part of the tension of the current system is you, can, you only vote for one person. The lesser right. of two evils. It's in the Constitution, yeah. isn't it? Right. Oh, yeah, right. Yeah, which is you know, one very key point. Everything we're talking about today can be done without changing the Constitution. The Constitution, in fact, is very flexible about election methods. We have a lot of history of, of, of different ways of voting. In fact, we have a lot of different ways of voting right now. Mm -hmm. Like Louisiana, they don't vote before November. Everyone goes to the November ballot and the top two face off in December. You know, there's a whole like range of things out there. And ranked voting is sort of part of that. We think is a very good way to vote. But... Right now, when you have two people running and you vote for one of them, you've cast a pretty expressive ballot. If there's three people running and you only vote for one of them, then you've left two things blank, right? You haven't indicated a preference between the other two. And then if you only add up you know, the votes and you stop there, the person who has the most votes might not have half the votes. Mm -hmm. right? They might. And if they have more than half, they're a pretty legitimate winner. But if they have like 40%, or in 2016, a number of states where one was, say, 45% or 47%, not a majority. What that means is that those voters who voted for the candidate who finished third or fourth, Gary Johnson, Joe Stein, um, those votes were expressive of what those voters wanted to say, but they didn't also get to indicate a preference between 
Trump and Clinton. And ranked choice voting essentially allows you to do that, right? right. So, so, so you say, well, my first choice is Gary Johnson. My first choice is Jill Stein. Um, but I do actually have a preference between those other two. And here it is. And so then you would add up all the first choices, and if you end up with like you know Wisconsin, where it's a 48% win state or something like that, then you would take out the, the 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 folks who aren't in the top two, and those ballots would count for their next choice, and then you just get a head-to-head -head comparison, an instant runoff is what the system right. can, can 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 be called. Um, and I'll use a good example because it's on the ballot in Maine, in two ways in June. It's going to be used in Maine for governor's races. And actually, Democrats may have as many as 10 candidates, and the voters will now be able to actually indicate preferences among them. And then Republicans, it looks like they'll have about five, and then they can do that as well. And then they'll use this ranked choice And any independents? Well, they, this is a primary, so this is oh, only a primary, primary, right? Okay, so it's just separate primaries, uh, Republican primary, Democratic primary. Um, this is only in June. Um, but quite a significant use of it. But they'll also vote on whether to keep it mm -hmm. and keep it for all future primaries and for the U.S. Senate and U.S. House races come November. Um, and so then, like when Angus King is running as an independent in November, there can be a Democrat, there can be a Republican, there can be a Green, there can be a Libertarian. And then the winner, as you were pointing out about sort of the tenor of the campaign, has to learn to be appealing as a second and third choice as well as a, you know, most important to get that first choice, but you, you also have to learn how to speak to other people and not just engage in flaming other people. But you wanted to add to that? Yeah, I wanted to, to add about the 2016 election and there are serious allegations and credible evidence of foreign manipulation of uh, social media of the election. And so what those uh, interlopers did was hack our plurality vote system. And so they were like buying ads and promoting fake news stories in favor of like Jill Stein, mostly because they wanted to hurt Hil Hillary Clinton. And it was, I've seen some of the examples of that and it was like very crude, almost comical, like comical, almost comical. Like, you know, Hillary Clinton is uh, Satan yeah. and Jill Stein is Jesus. Vote for Jesus, you know? And, but. And that's not proven. That, Nobody proved yeah, that, I don't think. I, but, well. I, see, know, I thought and, Obama was the Antichrist, was what I had heard. Yeah, and so what they did is they, they hacked the plurality voting system, and they manipulated that whole kind of wasted vote idea and, and to kind of, you know, and they, they couldn't do that if we had ranked choice but voting. But not, it's not just you know, these foreign interlopers, the Russians meddling. That's the case. I mean, we've heard that happen in traditionally in our elections where, uh, say, Republicans will promote the Green Party candidate or the Democrats might promote the Libertarian candidate and you know, drum up yeah, their Yeah, there's been examples of that. Like, yeah, yeah. So, it's, I mean, it's, there, manipulation. Be, it's not a good system where you, <laughs> you, you, you are promoting the person whose views are diametrically opposed from yours. There's gotta, that's got to be a flawed system. Yeah. And that wouldn't happen if we had ranked choice voting. That would, be, that would run counter to their interests. And, and, and just to add to that point is... Um, so there's a lot of concern about hacking. There's a lot of understandable attention to how we could, should create a, a more secure voter registration system where they, there were some concerns that they, people hacked into the voter registration system and messed with that. Um, and maybe even are getting into voting equipment. We don't know, but you know, that's something that we obviously have to be super attentive to. And there's a lot of money and a lot of time being spent on this. Meanwhile, this plurality system is sort of sitting there right in our face. We know it happened. It's not a hypothetical. Yeah. And uh, it's a statutory change to go to ranked choice voting. And then we sort of throw away this whole 
bitter argument about whether we can have third parties and independents in our country and just have a system where voters can have that choice. That's a statutory change, and we get rid of this hack, po hack problem. And so typically where you're promoting ranked choice voting in communities, are these referenda uh, that where the citizenry is voting on it, or are you trying to get local councils or cities you know, to adopt it by uh, you know, a legislative voter, you know, uh, uh, elected officials changing things? Yeah. Because it seems like an inherent there's struggle a, there. there. There's 13 cities and counties that have, are using ranked choice voting today, and most of them were put on by the governing body or by a charter commission. Um, some by a citizen initiative, but most of them not. And, and in fact, because it often solves a problem. Um, in a sense, this problem we were just talking about, the presidential race, is a problem for both major parties, that if they want to deal with it, they can, they can right? And, and some do. You know, there's, there's, there's some interest in it. Um, and, that, and then that can happen at the city level. Sometimes it's just as simple as uh, a city will have a traditional runoff system. Like they may have a first round in November, then like a December runoff, which is the way they used to vote in San Francisco. And it's like December, it's the holidays, you know, costs a lot of money. Why don't we just do a single round instant runoff? That was something the Board of Supervisors of San Francisco thought was a good idea, put it on the ballot, it passed, and they've been uh, using it the last 14 years. Maine was an initiative. So it was a petition gathered by uh, the people. Uh, they put it on the, the November 2016 ballot uh, when it first won. And it got the, actually the second highest vote total of any initiative in Maine history. So, I mean, the inherent challenge, it seems to me, to uh, uh, having this changing statutes is that you have people who were elected under a certain system, and you're asking them to change the system that they were. This is the same problem we have with getting money out of politics. Why should I want to get money out of politics when money in politics is what got me elected? So you have often you would it would seem to me that you have to go around that, or you have to start small. And it seems like uh, strategically, one thing that Fair Vote has done is gotten instant runoff voting or uh, the some form of ranked choice voting instituted in colleges across the country. And that gets people who are in college, who are probably more likely voters in the future maybe, uh, familiar with it. And then it, it's not, it doesn't seem so alien. Because I'm sure the, the, the real biggest problem with ranked choice voting is that most people don't know about it. And that's what you're doing. Yeah. So, but, but then you do have the, the problem of the people who object to it because it potentially will reduce their power and influence and people who are powerful now. So what are the objections that you hear most often to from the entrenched interests who object to ranked choice voting? Yeah. Well, let me, I, I, Chris has some good thoughts on this too. I, I wanted to pick up just briefly on the college student use of it because it's really cool to me. It's been mostly organic. It's been mostly they find out about it on, on, on the internet. Well, certainly answer any questions and be uh, supportive. But now more than 60 colleges and universities have adopted ranked choice voting for um, student body president um, voting and often the, the multi-winner variety for their, um, for, for councils. Um, UCLA, you know, really big schools, you know, they'll have like 15,000 people vote in, in some of these elections and they're very, very, very competitive. Um, and that's just happened all across the country um, in, in, in a number of places. And you get a lot of uses of it. It has a, it's a kind of a confusing terminology or it has a lot of names. Uh, it's not, you know, so like preferential voting or ranked choice voting or instant runoff voting. It sometimes passes vote. in these different, the alternative vote. Um, but the Oscars, for instance, Hair use Clark. use use ranked choice <laughs> voting. Uh, yeah, yeah, these these two uh, <laughs> uh, these two Australians that that came up with. Oh, right, right. One was um, one was um, uh, UK. But anyway, 
So it's actually used sometimes that people don't even realize it's the same thing, but it's mm. you know a different name. But um, you know the Oscars use it to pick Best Picture for all their nominations. It's in Robert's Rules of Order, and and you got like lots of associations, like the American Chemistry Association or whatever. You know, is is I'm using this. So there's that level of use, very tested, very proven. We know it works. Um, now, one reason we started locally is we were sort of pushed there because we didn't have the election administration machinery that could easily put it in place. And it's very difficult in our country to kind of just have machineries be changed. It's like a private industry that runs our elections. Um, they make money off of it. And it's not, it's, it, it, it's, it's not very responsive to market pressure. It's kind of right. a weird regime that we've allowed to exist. Um, so public interest, like, so here we are in like Silicon Valley, you know, Palo Alto and, and Menlo Park and, the, you know, and San Francisco, and they use like this really old, you know, it, it, it would be like using, you know, flip phones from 2003 or something like that, yeah. right? Um, and, and that's the kind of machines we have. So that's starting to change, but we first had to kind of break through at a level where you could get it implemented in one unified jurisdiction uh -huh. with one system that you could work through the implementation hurdles. We would actually have conversations with policymakers concerned about a problem that would jump to the highest level quite quickly, usually associated with a third party candidate running, a split vote dynamic, and they kind of have two ways to respond to that. One is like, okay, can we somehow make them go away? <laughs> you know, and that's often the response. Um, but some will say, can we accommodate them? And then those folks, sort of the divide is actually not left right. It's often a little bit older, younger, but it's really like inside or outside. It's like open-minded versus closed-minded right. or something, right? And you can find that across the spectrum. And we find that, um, you know, in 2008, uh, John, John McCain ran against Barack Obama for president um, and uh, at the, you know, the major party candidates. And both of them had been active, helpful supporters of ranked choice voting. And they were those kinds of candidates, right? Yeah. They were like a maverick or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. And um, so I'm hopeful that, that as this normalizes, we can uh, uh, find those in power ready to accommodate the changes that are just coming to our country. But do you want to add to that? Okay, that was a good, good answer. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so besides Santa Clara, you got Maine. Uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico, is they, they have it already or they're voting on it? Santa Fe just used it. They actually passed it. It's sort of a nice story of you know, citizen progress over time. They passed it in 2008. Um, again, the city council put it on the ballot after a charter commission recommended it. Uh, it passed in 2008, 66%. They didn't have the voting equipment ready. They arguably still could have done it, but that was sort of the excuse not to do it by, by the sort of city... Um, staff that didn't really want to do it. Um, and uh, that was sort of the status quo. Finally, they were starting to get new voting equipment next year. We knew they could do it. The city staff was saying, no, we still can't do it. So uh, local folks brought a lawsuit. No one thought they were going to win. They won the lawsuit, required it to be used. So they just used it uh, this month uh, in uh, Santa Fe. Um, and it was an open seat race for mayor. We had five candidates running. They had the highest turnout for mayor that they'd had in, in, in decades, I think. Um, and um, the top candidate didn't get 40%. So the old system would have been like another non-majority winner. Uh, but after a season of campaigning where the candidates really ran, as everyone in Santa Fe says, like the most substantive, debate-filled kind of campaign that they'd had in, in a long, long time, um, people knew the candidates. 
kind of respected each other. Um, and this guy learned how to appeal to the winner. Uh, ultimately got 66% in the last round. It was 66 uh -huh. to 34. Um, and, uh, and almost everyone ranked all the way through the ballot so that the ballot counted till the very end. So we were thrilled. It uh, worked great. Um, Utah, just I'm sure that's like a nail-biting moment for you a little bit because you got a lot, a lot of eggs in this basket. Yes. I mean, when you don't have that many places using it, everyone's kind of scrutinizing each yeah. one, and particularly a new use. Mm -hmm. uh, but it also was great because the voting equipment that was being used was one of these newer models, and it was election night results, smooth as silk. Um, they took a little time to like push the button to do the results, but you know they had the election result that night, um, and uh, that shows what shows what we can do, right? And we're in the modern era, right? You know, we're again we're in Silicon Valley with all these like you know smartphones and, and Google Maps and Google Earth and whatever, and here we are, you know, can we figure out how to allow people to indicate a second preference? Yeah. we can. Yeah, this this is a, a trivial problem as the the people who know these things would, or computer people describe them to me. It seems like it should be a trivial problem. Okay, so one of the uh, consequences you talk about, at least in Santa Fe, is that uh, uh, you have a higher turnout, and you also see a, a more substantive campaign. Chris, is this what you, your experience with the places where it's been instituted? Like, so, I mean, what are, what are the, uh, the I mean, results? What, you could what just look, you could look at the numbers, and what's important is, is ranked choice voting folds the primary and general election into one election. So instead of having the first stage, which is a primary election, and those can be low turnout and say the top two advance into the general election, you have all, and you have all the candidates um, participate in the general election where there's typically more, a better turnout. So you get you know, and then you ran the, the numbers in Santa Fe, and there was a, there was just way more turnout. Yeah. Yeah, and let me sort of add that you know we're here in the Bay Area, so four cities in the Bay Area use it. About you know again thirteen. So Minneapolis, St. Paul, some pretty big cities. St. Paul and uh, Minneapolis used it in uh, November 2017. Both of them had much higher turnout than projected, kind of more like midterm congressional turnout. I mean, it's sad. We'd like to have turnout for city elections be higher, but sadly. It's often pretty I, low, so it's great when it's forty percent. If you look at the, if you look at the research, why there's could be lower turnout in municipal elections. A lot of places use nonpartisan ballots, and that's just what the research shows. And there's just, just stacks of it. So, so with a nonpartisan ballot, for those who a nonpartisan ballot is you don't have a party identification next right. to a name, and so what happens is, and a lot of people hate parties or or whatever, and so I'm not going to get into that, but it's that. The, the best thing about having a, a, a party next to a candidate's name is that it gives voters a cue, right? And so they might not have the information, like they'll know who to vote for president, governor, U.S. senator, but when they go down the line, they look for cues. Sometimes they look for cues like a name. There was a, 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 a judicial race in Washington State between Gonzalez and Danielson, and it was actually that race turned to be evidence of racially polarized voting because, you know, a lot of voters, 25% of voters dropped off. They'll, it's called the exhaust, exhaustion or undervoter or whatever. Right. But the voters that didn't drop off had all the information they needed to choose. And that was evidence of racially polarized voting. Another, but, like, that's but, why groups will hand, you know, the NRA, I'm sure, hands out or sends their members yeah, exactly. voting guides, you know, the SEIU. And so, and but, and so what's happened, well, I don't want to get, like, into the whole nonpartisan partisan thing, but these were, like, uh, reform, uh, progressive era reforms, like, 100 years ago. 
And but I can't really find anybody to tell me why, like say the city of Seattle, or like why Los Angeles or San Francisco. Why did they switch to nonpartisan, and when? It was yeah. so long ago. But you know, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's it's an interesting history. Part of it. So the move to say nonpartisan ballots and even having directly elected primaries, which seems so normal in the United States, but actually we're the only country in the world where the government pays for nomination contests. And there's sort of a part of that, it's like, well, good, there's higher participation in these nomination contests. However, it's a concession that general elections don't matter. It's like, you know, the only election that's going to really matter is going to be this choice of the nomination, so let's democratize that, mm -hmm. versus can we figure out a way to democratize the November election in general, mm -hmm. so that cities are often pretty one-party one. So if, when they're partisan, winning the primary is usually the dominant feature. But if we had a system where you could have competitive choice and partisan elections. But I was just going to, I'll say briefly about the Bay Area, because there's these four cities. There's 53 offices that um, are chosen with ranked choice voting here. And um, some really interesting patterns, um, but, but one is it, it's, it's a diverse area of the country that's been reflected with a real diversification of who's winning and losing. And part of that is you get to run in one election. So it's not a long campaign season. I mean, it's you know, longer than maybe it could be, but it's just one election. Um, and it's always when the turnout is at the highest. It's always in when the electorate is biggest and most representative in November. And yeah. so, um, you know, it's now 60% people of color, which is a big jump up from what those uh, 53 offices were before. It's actually 60% of women um, which seems to be a, a pattern that we've seen that um, women candidates, that those kind of features of these campaigns of, of uh, shorter cycles, less negativity, and, and, and kind of a, you know, the value of sort of being able to build a coalition. Um, some women seem better than that than uh, men, um, but it but it's uh, but but it's an interesting way that it's actually worked on the ground. Cheaper to run too, right? Yeah. Um, so so that's a key key part. We we've seen that some of the biggest money spenders kind of use the old tactics, and the old tactics don't really work. Like negative campaigning is just not as a, a effective tactic. They sort of independent expenditure problem. Um, a lot of those independent expenditures go into attack ads. And it's really hard to stay unassociated with attack ads, mm -hmm. so we're, we're just seeing fewer of them. Wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, this—it's—it seems like uh, there's a larger issue of as voters in the United States, there's a general sense of people are discouraged by this whole lesser of two evils notion, and people don't feel good about voting often. They, they're, they, they, they view it as a chore, and because we make it difficult to vote in this country, and there are other issues related to that, but also because they're, they're except in the primary, but even in the primary to a degree often, uh, you feel like you have, to, you, you have to sort of hold your nose as you vote. And when you feel like, even if your candidate didn't win, at least you felt like your voice was heard, and you, you, your uh, uh, preference was reflected in, in somehow, then you feel much better. I mean, I'm sure that with regard to just the Jill Stein and Hillary Clinton or Ralph Nader and Al Gore, th that situation, we would have had most likely Al Gore as president, uh, but the Nader voters would have felt better about what they, and he, he probably would have gotten more votes because the, there, were, there wasn't anybody saying, oh, I like him better, but I can't, I don't want to waste my vote. The idea that you're wasting your vote, that, that's, not, that's not an issue anymore when you've got instant runoff voting or ranked choice voting. So I just... I, I, you know, I don't know if you can 
quantify that somehow. You know, you can't measure voter uh, happiness or you know exit polls about how do you feel about vote? How do you right, feel right. about the vote you just cast? Because I'm sure in this last the 2016 election, a lot of people walking out of the uh, the polling places did not feel good about their vote. Right. And we had the two least, you know, right. the worst, most unpopular candidates in history. So, um, yeah, so I mean, is that, is that no, your No, I, I think you actually said it really well. Um, and I think that um, there will be times that third parties and independents, I think, could win in a ranked choice voting environment. They have to get over 50% when it's the one winner system. So you have to be a strong, effective candidate. But if you have weak major party candidates, um, we've already seen independents break through, a Jesse Ventura or a Lincoln Chafee or, uh, you know, there's an independent in the uh, Walker and uh, Governor of Alaska. Uh, so it can happen now. Um, Bernie Sanders, I think, is an Bernie Sanders, oh yeah, uh, that guy. Um, and um, the, uh, so, 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 you, so you can see people break through. It doesn't happen very often. But with a ranked choice system, they'd be there, they can hold people accountable, they could win. But let's say 2016. I don't think Hillary Clinton, in a ranked choice voting, voting environment, would have thought she'd lose to Jill Stein. She thought without ranked choice voting, she could lose because of Jill Stein. Right. right? And the and Jill Stein voters hear that plenty on Twitter from right. Hillary voters. And, and that, and yet they don't do anything about it. Right, right, yeah. right, right. So that's well, they, the they, thing. They, are, they right. do argue with each other on Twitter and yell at each other <laughs> right. and block each but, other but, and mute but, each but, other. But, so. but, but actually, uh, you know, the third parties have pretty constructively been saying, let's try to get ranked choice voting. And I think you're seeing some major party people joining. There's, there's a lot of major party backers in some of the different places that are doing it. But I think whenever this conversation happens, which it will, if we don't change the system, you know, that's, that's you know, like, Take it on, right? Right. Take on the problem. Um, and I uh, will say that um, you know there, there there was a study done in 2013, 2014. Uh, these four academics worked uh, with the the Rutgers poll, and they polled in seven cities with ranked choice voting, and then uh, a total of 14 cities without it to do kind of comparisons and trying to gauge you know kind of voter reactions to the campaigns. And they found quantifiable differences that the campaigns were uh, experienced by the voters as more positive, more engaging in a ranked choice voting environment. So I think we're actually seeing more of that now as that playbook of how to do well in ranked choice voting election gets out. So actually, I think if they did that survey again, we'd even see kind of a probably a greater uh, yeah. difference. Well, there is a general sense, I think, among many people in the United States that uh, our democratic norms are under attack. And uh, this seems to be a solution to some of those, but not necessarily to all of them. It's not a panacea to solve all of our voting problems. But, uh, Too bad. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it were. But does fair vote take a stance on you know, motor voter bills or the voter ID laws or uh, you know, moving that's election really data not in our, That's really not our, our, the scope. We do proportional representation and ranked choice voting. And we are a nonpartisan group. And so we have like Republicans. We work with Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians, Greens, Independents. And um, what's going on in the United States is there's this polarization and there's just so much partisanship. And I think that comes out of our binary choice that we're, we're forced on by the major parties that are like, it's, it, there's no competition. And so what they do is they, they differentiate themselves by saying, hey, the other side's bad, we're the good guys. And the other side says, you know, and so they put, do all these tribal politics. Yeah. And they don't really any offer any solutions because that wouldn't really help them. And so they're, they're soft money machines, really. They sell access to the legislature. 
And uh, in the meantime, people are, are just, the United States is really polarized and it's, and it's affecting everything, it seems like. But it seems and, like what you were talking fear about inside, and loathing. Is that, that, that's, that's a response to incentives. I mean, our yeah. system incentivizes the, the, the response. They're, they're only doing that because that's the best way for them to gain power yeah, and yeah. maintain and it. And so, you know, if we, like, if we had it in 2016, I was really disappointed they wouldn't let Jill Stein or, or Gary Johnson debate. I mean, is that democratic? And so I think that came back to haunt um, Hillary Clinton because Gary Johnson is uh, he's a conservative in some ways, you know, but he's, you know, mainstream, but he's a fiscal conservative and he was a good alternative to Trump. And he could appeal more votes off Trump if people were to saw him that he's a decent person. Right. He's yeah. actually a good, decent person. I, I worked with him. So but voters didn't get to see that. They just got the Democratic, the donkey and elephant show. Yeah. And it was, you know, it was wrong. Well, I mean, it was wrong to have that and that people accepted <laughs> that. And they, again, that just came back to haunt Democrats. And yeah, so she made some poor choices. And then Democrats want to talk about, you know, democracy or, you know, foreign inter intervention in our democracy. But we can't have a multi-party debate for president of the United States. I think that's an atrocity. And I just wanted to, to point out, just sort of a, you know, to echo Chris's point, but just sort of point out a contradiction, right? So when the major parties have their nomination contest for president, they're very inclusive in the debates, but they have different rules, right? Yeah. So that if they only had like a national primary on one day or something like that, right? They probably would have kept out Ben Carson or some of the the candidates that weren't in the like the you know over fifteen percent or, or whatever. Had never held been. elective office before. Yeah. I mean, Herman Cain was. I mean, I, I saw. Her, I mean, he was a pizza guy. What is he doing on the stage <laughs> with these people? They it was very but inclusive. It was inclusive, exactly. And 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 so if we had ranked choice voting. You know, but but they have these sequential primaries. It's it's almost like ranked choice voting, right? You get voted off the island in <laughs> Iowa, and then you you know you're off the I island in New Hampshire. Is that right? And and right. and the debates get smaller and smaller, and then they're ultimately down to usually two two or three people, or just two, right? So it's really almost like a a kind of ranked choice voting contest. But very so, complicated and expensive. Very complicated <laughs> and expensive, right? As you know. But 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 if we uh, you know general election had ranked choice voting, I think it's highly likely the debates would be inclusive. Because that whole tension about you know the the role of the third party candidate wouldn't be there. It's sort of a special of interest to us. Our our, our one of our founders and longtime chairs was John Anderson, who ran for right. president in 1980, um, and and that was sort of the start of like the League of Women Voters used to run the debates, and um, they wanted they said. John Anderson, he's on the ballot in all 50 states. He's polling over 15 percent. You know, he's polling well, you know, and, and they wanted him to be part of the debates and Jimmy Carter wouldn't wouldn't debate him. So they had one without Carter and then they kicked Anderson out and 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 then the parties took over the debates from right. there. Right. Well, I mean, you're, um, you're, it's, sort of, it's ridiculous that the parties, the two parties get to decide who I mean, they what uh, I think they said you had to 15 percent of the vote now, or you know, polling at 15 percent, which is very difficult. It's arbitrary. Yeah, it's arbitrary. And they don't. And if somebody if Jill Stein or Gary Johnson had been polling at 15%, they would have bumped it up to 20 because I mean, the, it's a, a catch-22. Also, like if you don't if you don't get in, the, it, it's a catch-22 because if you don't get in the debates, then you'll never get to 15%. Right. L Larry Lessig experienced something similar. He yeah. raised a million dollars, but they wouldn't. I mean, they had, Hillary Clinton had no interest in Larry Lessig being in the debates. And so that's he wasn't all strategic about vote splitting and being exclusive, and then basically preserving the two-party duopoly. So when you mentioned vote splitting, I want to just talk before I let you. I mean, I could talk to you guys about this forever, and I know you have other things you need to be doing. But 
here in California, we have the jungle primary system, which was a, Washington. We have that too. It was a reform. It, you know, this is relatively new, where uh, there's a primary. So it's not party. Everybody who's running, they run, and the top two vote getters go on to the, the 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 election in November. And it doesn't matter whether they're both Republicans, one Republican, one Democrat, two Democrats, two Greens, whatever it is. And what I, I don't know enough about this, so I'll just ask you, what problem did this solve? Well, okay. What it, what it does is there was a Supreme Court ruling, and it was Justice Thomas wrote for the majority. It was a 7-2 opinion in 2008 called Grange Washington Grange versus uh, Washington Republican Party. And basically that's where the United States Supreme Court invented this whole idea of a prefers party. So when you there's fine print on the Californian, respective Californian Washington ballots that the candidates are preferring a party. So it what it is, it's a wrecking ball against political association and grassroots association is what it does. And it lacks transparency. So what it was attempted to do was with partisan primaries, which are basically nomination contests. So everywhere else in the world, parties have their own kind of nominations, except the United States and progressive era. The, uh, the idea of that the state conducts the nominations for these major parties that qualify. So what happens is, is you have, used to have a primary in May, no, in June, in June in California. And so the Democrats would run their candidates and then registered voters with that party or Republicans, you know, both parties, they would participate and nominate these candidates. However, a June primary would be a low turnout. So you would get uh, motivated partisan voters would come out and then they would uh, elect uh, nominate these more fringy extreme candidates who, with the single-member winner-take-all voting system, would just cruise to, to election in uh, November. So mm -hmm. there wouldn't be a meaningful uh, a meaningful um, election. So what happens when you have the prefers party, this like ballot disclaimer, you could have, because it's not a nomination, it doesn't matter which candidates because they're just preferring the party. It's, it's really kind of like a, like an insurance policy. It's the fine print yeah. is what happens. So you can have two candidates from the same party advance, okay? And so the theory is that when the voters in the general election say uh, have to pick between two Democrats, that there would be enough Republicans that would jump over and then they would pick the more moderate mm. candidate, okay? France has had a system since 1959 of a top two runoff system, but they have they don't have this prefers party kind of business, fine print like which is legalese which these lawyers put in, and it was just Chief Justice Roberts wrote that concurring opinion and he said he prescribed it that this would pass constitutional muster if you had this disclaimer and this fine print on the ballot. You should read California Washington ballots have disclaimers and fine print. However, so that's it was the concept. Like, okay, you'd have more moderation. However, you had United States Senate election in 2016. It was uh, San Loretta Sanchez versus Kamala Harris. Did I get those names right? Yeah. Okay. And they were pretty much had the same uh, experience, pretty much the same policy proposals. So you had thousands and thousands and thousands. I don't recall how many Republicans just skipped the ballot. Yeah. They just didn't, they just refused to vote. Or why, okay. why bother coming out right. to vote? I mean, you know, it's, it's and, and then if you look and if you look at it, it's a wrecking ball against grassroots 
political association, but it's really good for like the legislative caucuses, the soft money machines that sell access to the legislature because there's a study and from Gonzaga University about eight years ago on Washington's system where when you have a problem of saying have like there's too many Democrats in the in the primary in the party leadership is afraid of them splitting the vote and then get elected. And we've had these kind of distortions where two Republicans advance in an Obama district, okay, because right. there were so many Democrats yeah. and we may split see the that, vote. We may see that the, this Well, in year, Washington, election. they quote, quote, unquote, it was the Washington chair of the Democratic Party. He told these researchers, or, or they found it in the newspaper, or whatever, it's in the paper, the scholarly peer-reviewed paper, that it's my job to tell people to drop out. And so the party chair goes around and says, I've got a carrot or a stick. I'll give you a carrot if you drop out. If you don't, you're going to get the stick. Okay? But and then again, this is just responding right. to incentives. This and is then, the way the system right. is set up. And so most voters, they look for that cue, Republican and Democrat, and they think, well, this is a Republican or Democrat. And I found, because when I had my Grange Party protest candidacy, I could do a whole other interview about this. I know a lot about it. Voters are confused about this disclaimer. Okay, and there's some research too. Matt Manweller in Washington State and Central Washington University, he did he did study on undergraduates. They didn't understand this like party preferencing. So most people don't even know what I'm talking about because. <laughs> but this is on your California ballot. But actually, if yeah. you play some of the Nirvana songs backwards, yeah, you, you play it backwards. It says, "I love you, sweet Satan." <laughs> Just like that was like. Um, anyway, see, I'm getting way way into the, into the weeds. Yeah, with it's this. clear that but, you don't know really so, what you're talking and about. And finally, finally, it's a lack of transparency. And so you have these Democrats and Republicans, but then behind the scenes you have the usual suspects in Sacramento or Olympia and they're just like these these special interest groups that go into a district and they do the independent expenditures they recruit candidates they um, they're these money machines well that's that, happening in the Democratic Party right now yeah, across the country yeah. where they're recruiting can the Democratic Party is recruiting candidates and trying to incur or support <coughs> candidates who are more mainstream or more conservative and more willing to but, spend so, their money on the Democratic Party's favorite consultants and so a Calif state of California made things worse now they moved the primary from June to March so only two candidates uh, on the ballot in, in an election from March all the way to November. I mean, that. Uh, what were they thinking? It gives us more time to find out about which sex scandals they're involved in. Then you can't. Then you're stuck with you're somebody. Stuck with Someone dies or whatever. It's like eight months. It's just not a. It's not a very good system. And so France in 1959, Charles de Gaulle, it was the fifth French Republic. He came in and said. I'm going to, um, he designed this system of government that like Russia uses and other countries uses, but the, what's the feature of the French system is this top two runoff system, okay? But they let parties nominate however they want. So parties have the freedom to fail. So if parties, they could nominate someone who's kind of fringy. It's just like, there's these other parties that have the freedom to uh, put their best foot forward and they get elected and they have like five parties in, in the French National Assembly. So, and so Chris has said it uh, in great detail and, and, and with a lot of uh, good information for I'm people an to see. On top two. Absolutely, because he's lived it. He's, yeah, he's, he's actually uh, even briefly, briefly ran. But I do think that part of you said, like, what problem did it address? And I think Chris articulated that well. But just to reiterate that, the old system it replaced ain't that great either, right? And, 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 and so we actually often work as collaboratively as we can with people pushing other structural reforms. We, we, we try not to say, hey, our, our, our way is the only way to go. And I respect a lot of the people that are, I mean, I respect the people who are, 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 are trying to get top two because they're often trying to get to a system where 
voters have more choices and more voters are part of that, right? And 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 there it's is a gateway drug. There to is an argument. There is an argument that it does that, and there's different ways you can do it too. Like I think the March, November cycle is pretty nutty. Um, but you know, if well, you I said, it, if be, like I wasn't poo pooing top two, but can I just say it's just <laughs> I was not poo pooing top two. I said, you know, they moved it to March and Washington. Our primaries in August. That's better, okay? And that should how California should be. Should move the primary to August. And have, and, have and, it more like a yeah, more and they should have get rid of the prefers party and just have pure political association because that's the moderating effect and that's what Charles de Gaulle wanted in the Fifth French Republic. Republic is a top two. When you have runoffs, it, 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 you know, so this, this whole prefers party is more of a wrecking ball against association, political association, grassroots association. And I think that's causing more problems. And it's this level of complexity that's not really serving the idea of what these uh, reformers want to do. And then perhaps, you know, California could just could follow France. And so you have an election in uh, November, then if there's no majority and the top two just run off at a, at a later date. But if there's a majority, they're elected. Yeah, and, and that's what I was like say, that's what they do in Louisiana, which essentially is like a top two system. Yeah. Said everyone gets, yeah. gets to go to the November ballot, right? So you get the third parties, you get the independents, you get the insurgent uh, candidates there, and then they have a pretty quick runoff. And Dude, the what runoff, is, the, what some, is the turnout yeah. for runoffs that they have? Because it's a December election that's, after the election season is over. That's the downside, right? It's not going to be as it's not going to be nearly yeah. as I mean, high. It, so, it seems like these are all problems that are easily solved with, yeah. with, with just having with, one it, day, yeah. and we'll do it all at once. Right. Ranked choice voting. Ranked right. choice voting. But 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 and, and there's ways to kind of like again kind of middle ground. Like so, one idea is to like take top two and at least like advance maybe four or five, right? So you have like a more winnowed field. You got a second look, I, and ideally pretty close together. You have more of a range of choice, and then use ranked choice voting. Then another idea that some of the top two people have, just to say that you know we're sort of looking at ways for again common ground, um, is like a state like Oregon. At this point, about half of the registered voters they have automatic voter registration. Mm -hmm. Good idea, getting very bipartisan support. Something that we had a role in kind of getting that out as an idea. Um, but it, almost everyone who's getting registered automatically is getting registered as an independent because you can't automatically put them in a party, right? Right. And, in a, and, and if you're unaffiliated, you can't vote in a primary. So they're actually up to about half of the voters can't vote in their primaries because uh, they're closed primaries. So another idea would be to say, well, let's add like a, a public primary, sort of a primary that anyone can run in and anyone can vote in, be a contest. I guess you get on the November ballot without this, but this would be a way that you could have a contest. All those voters could participate in it. And then you'd get this additional avenue to get to the no November ballot. And then use ranked choice voting with this sort of additional, regular, interesting choice, along with traditional third parties and so on. Anyway, so there's ways that, you know, I think some of what the top two folks are, are looking for are, are ways that I think can... Can, can work with ranked choice voting. There are, it seems like ranked choice voting, there are a number of ways of doing it. Yeah, we will wrap up. We're almost done. So I, 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 as I said, I could talk to you for a and, you know, and, we'll and do a separate. <laughs> we'll do a separate interview just about Grange versus Washington Republican Party or whatever. Because oh, you know, yeah. I know you, you have so a lot to say about that. You want to walk out. So, um, okay, so just in terms of fairvote.org, fairvote if you want fairvote. more information, what is, I mean, you both, you know, you've got to combine almost a half a century of working on these issues. And, uh, I don't know, did you think it would take this long? Were you thinking maybe by 2000 we'll have this done and I can move on to something else? Uh, but uh, 
Where where do you see it going now? What are you where where is the organization focused on getting? You know, so assuming that if Santa Clara passes it, Santa Fe has it. Maine, if they vote for it, yep. then where do you go from there? Yeah, well, a lot of other places are moving it too. And like so, U Utah just this week, Utah passed a bill, um, sent it to the governor to allow cities to use ranked choice voting, with an understanding that some cities will, because actually some state lawmakers really want to sort of see it in action and then are interested in in in, in state use. Um, so I think you know there's sort of a mix of states. Georgia has all these runoff elections yeah. they have like primary runoffs and general election runoffs land and of runoff. land of runoffs <laughs> and, and chris and i did a talk at kennesaw state and we had uh, a couple candidates for secretary of state from georgia there who are running in the in the republican primary very interested in ranked choice voting so we will see it advance we will see statewide wins we will have these implementation issues in within a you know i think a two three four year period um i think this sort of normalization of the idea will continue in a conversation about hey can we use this for president? Can we use the nomination process? You know, there might be 15 Democrats running for president soon. Uh, ranked choice voting could start start looking pretty attractive. Um, the um, big idea that we are not going to lose sight of as well is we're working with some members of Congress on something called the Fair Representation Act, which is the idea of the multi-winner proportional version, the one they're voting on here right. in Santa Clara. And you know, for people struggling with the the problem of gerrymandering, uh, which is intense. Whether it's intentional or not, that's the issue, that it's, there's yeah. so much of the country that's just going to be gerrymandered. If we want to have elections that matter in November, this is actually the only way to achieve it, right. sadly. Um, but happily for us, in the sense that this is something that we think can win, statutory. So people should check out the Fair Representation Act as kind of a, a goal that we can win by statute that would really just transform congressional elections. And that's, that's the next conversation to have uh, it's it's a conversation to have now that's the next uh, action to take but yeah when I started I was in my 20s and I uh, did think that things might happen faster but you know it's actually been a fun ride in the sense that every year you sort of say yeah we actually did some good stuff well I mean both of you thank you so much for talking to me it's clear it's that going. this is this is you're passionate about this topic and thank God you are or else you could not do this and talk about it over and over and over and over again. And but that's the. I mean, that's like one of the things I've concluded from the Bernie Sanders campaign. I mean, he has a broken record. He just says the same thing over and over and over again. But he understands the importance of it and importance of it, and he's passionate about it that he doesn't seem to mind. And that's what I get from the two of you about electoral reform, specifically, uh, you know, ranked choice can, voting. Can I say something about yes. Senator Sanders? In 2007, he testified to the Vermont State Legislature to say, "Change my office to ranked choice voting." And actually, the legislature passed it, and the governor vetoed it in twenty in uh, two thousand eight. But we could have had statewide ranked choice voting right there in Vermont, and uh, and may and, yet, and, yeah, and 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 we will. We will, yeah. That's going to happen. Yes. It's going to happen. All right. Well, thanks so much, Chris Novoselic, and Rob Ritchie from FairVote.org. Find out more about it on their website. There's all sorts of information. You can find out what it means not only for individual candidates, but for these uh, you know, city council races. And and uh, it's a, it's an exciting idea, and it's a really important idea for electoral reform in this country. So thanks to you for watching at home. Appreciate it, and uh, really look into it. It's a great idea. Thanks, thanks a lot, guys.